it was really cool to see kind of a sparring match between two great offensive minds, Kellen Moore um, and Mike McDaniel, just kind of going blow for blow with each other down to the wire in a 36-34 game. It was it was a fun game to watch. Bird right, 18 premium diesel. Joe Montana, Buster Douglas, John Elway, John Elway. Daisy right, Soy, Blitz right, Travolta right, Pumpkin left, Alert Charlotte left, on one. Punch right, Zach, we'll go 15 tip scissors. Victory is a great play call. It's a long season and there's a lot to be figured out. I think one thing that's become pretty clear to me, RIP Pac-12, but they are incredible. The Pac-12 is incredible this year. I haven't lost a game yet. I don't think they have. Like, uh, hey, minus, maybe, maybe minus, Arizona State lost. Or yeah, I guess Arizona State. Okay, well, at some point, at one point on Saturday, I think they were still like seventeen and zero. Yeah, yeah I guess something Arizona crazy. Arizona State like that. and Arizona lost, and technically Stanford it, lost to USC, so that's yeah. technically a loss. But I think the longest undefeated start to a season by a conference, which is insane. And Stanford technically lost to USC. They, I. They got destroyed. <laughs> Forty nine points as, at half. Yeah, they didn't, as they didn't it, show up. As, as well, well, and you know, I, I think it, in some regards the cupboard's a little bit bare at Stanford right now. But USC, they they are running like at such a high tempo on offense right now, and it's everything feels like it's coming really easily. Obviously, Caleb Williams is rolling. They they run a little RPO out of two back, a kind of split back look, and and the second back is a lot of times just a receiver that they'll put back there. It's Xavier Branch, it's Taj Washington, I think is his name, um, little kind of scat back slot receiver, and they run a wide zone RPO with basically split zone action, and the running back will leak out into the flat, and they'll run an arrow screen and put Caleb Williams out on the perimeter a little bit. And he'll just toy with people. He'll get out on the edge and toy with people and invite that that linebacker up and just kind of dump it off to the the slot. Um, and th- they probably ran that play ten times against Stanford and got him every single time. It, that that little arrow screen. I think it's a it's definitely going to be a trend moving forward in college football. It's basically like a cheap way to get to triple option. Um, but not actually run the triple, if that makes sense. Um, so USC, I think, is they're going to be a problem offensively for people to deal with. But I, I just when I look at USC's schedule looking forward, I know we've spent a lot of time in Texas, but I want to go out west for a second because obviously they got the showdown with Colorado coming up soon in a couple weeks. But then if you look, once they hit that Notre Dame game, it goes Notre Dame, Utah, Cal, who should have beat Auburn. I mean, if if you stayed up late and watched that game, like Cal played really well defensively and really poorly offensively, and they definitely should have beat Auburn and kind of let it slip away. And then you got Washington, Oregon, UCLA. So I think the the back stretch of Pac-12 football is going to be really fun to watch. Um, unfortunately, a lot of these games have been relegated to the Pac-12 network, which is just brutal television um, and hard to hard to get access to. And so I'm hoping that, you know, everyone keeps kind of on on pace with the Pac-12 and we can have some of these great offensive shootouts late in the season. Everybody's highly ranked, excited about it. 
uh, before before this thing dissolves. Let's let's have some fun. Let's have some fun before this thing is is gone. Yeah, let's have one last iteration of Pac-12 after dark <laughs> before all of our East Coasters. East Coasters, right? And yeah, USC is, USC is just rolling with uh, you know with, with Caleb at their at, at QB, and they're having some fun out out west. And it's, I I might have saw, I guess, in a coaches poll this year. I mean, this week that eight eight teams in the pack in the eight teams in the Pac twelve in the coaches poll. I think you're so, right. I think you're which right. Which is which is insane. You know, just thinking about just what they've been through over the past few months, and um, I guess the team that leads all that chatter right now is definitely Colorado. Love to call them like America's sweetheart right now because oh, for sure that's the talk around town. And you know, with Colorado, right? Um, you know, they played in their rivalry game versus Nebraska. That used to be a Big Twelve showdown. I remember being a kid watching that game and like you know, while it's while it's probably like in elementary school, middle school, almost elementary school, seeing um, Eric Crouch have like eight like not eight touchdowns, but having multiple touchdowns versus Colorado back in the day. Oh yeah, um, when he was going for his Heisman Heisman Trophy. Um, you know, a campaign, but, uh, yeah, Colorado, Shador Sanders, they, they figure out a way to kind of bounce back in that third quarter and win that game. So bounce back as in like, get, get, get back on track on her offensively. So, uh, yeah, with Colorado being America's sweetheart, intrigued to see that matchup between Colorado versus USC and see how, uh, USC is going to Boulder. I think they're going to Boulder for that game. So be intrigued to see how, just how that game shakes out. I personally think USC obviously has more talent, but it's one of those games in which anything can happen. When motivated teams play against ranked teams, weird things kind of tend to go down. I think Colorado's kind of got the uh, the last dance Michael Jordan deal going on right now, where they they take everything personally and they and they use oh, it yeah. against you. So I think I can't even remember what it was about, but Shadour Sanders was saying that I don't know Matt Rule said something I guess that pissed him off, and they're like saying that they took it personally and like that's i guess that's just going to be their theme this year is they're going to find something you said and they're going to use it against you and they're going to use that as motivation against you and i'm like i love it it's you know whatever you can find but i thought i thought one first of all i think nebraska is pretty solid on defense oh yeah and two i think that was probably the best thing to happen to colorado because you know they're i feel like their offense never really got slow down minus maybe one or two drives in the first half against TCU last week. And so for them to have to kind of overcome some adversity a little bit, figure it out, you, know, you said they're going to have to start running the ball better. And I think they kind of found some ways to, you know, get four or yes. five yards to carry a couple times and get a little bit more creative there. Um, and, and it just seemed like they're getting a little bit more push up front too. You know, it's as the game goes on a little bit, you kind of wear down the defensive line and, so I think it was good for them to kind of have to solve some of those problems as opposed to when you go, you know, to Oregon or play USC the following week and then have to figure it out. I think it was good for them to kind of have a game where it's like, okay, we're still comfortable because, you know, we know that we should win this one, but, you know, let's kind of figure some things out on the fly here. So it'll be, I think they've got Oregon in two weeks. That should be, you know, a high-profile game and one that, you know, Colorado hasn't really been in in a long time, at least expected as they were going into the game. Obviously, last week against TCU was a big game, but that you that uh, Colorado and Oregon game will be, be some fireworks coming up here in a couple weeks. Yeah, Col- Colorado's making football fun right now. I, I think uh, 
think it's good for college football. They're they're having a good time out there, and they're also like bringing some bringing some drama to it too. You know, I think I think we need that. Like we got, I think we got to remember that like football's a game, and, and it also it's entertainment you know i think right. that was one thing that really stood out to me and talk, i've talked with um you know some people in the music industry and, and different places and and they always relate back like you know sports is just it's entertainment and you know it's it's high stakes entertainment obviously and it's you know people are super competitive but at the end of the day it should be fun it should be exciting it should be uh dramatic and all of that and so i i fully i fully support the idea of drumming stuff up with your opponents and and talking some smack i just i think it makes it makes football more fun and um i i think uh i think it's i think we're heading into a new era and and i think one of the things that these these guys at at colorado are demonstrating is like yeah they're they're gonna have fun they're going to to talk smack and all that but they also they care a lot like they are fully invested and you know I feel like every generation along the way, people will say, oh, like these, these kids aren't motivated. You know, they, mm-hmm. they, they're yeah. all about me. They're all about, you know, blah, 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 blah. If you watch Colorado play, man, like, I don't think you can make that argument. Like, one thing that really stood out to me with Colorado is th- they, that when they were penalized, they were penalized for standing up for their teammates. And there's a lot of kind of circle the wagons, um, don't mess with our guys kind of energy on that team. And as a coach, you got to love it, right? Definitely. Like it's one thing to get a bonehead personal foul penalty. It's another thing to make sure nobody touches your quarterback after the whistle um, or get mad that somebody did touch your quarterback after the whistle. So, you know, I I think that, you know, different coaches may argue about that, but there was something about it where you're just like, man, these guys, they stand up for each other. And uh, I think I think Coach Prime has uh, has fostered that mentality quite a bit at Colorado. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And, you know, with what's cool about football, you have one game a week for a team, right? So you have like a week, a week-long news cycle. And Colorado is just creating this buzz in college football, which I think is great. Um, playing the underdog, right, with, you know, Dion and his son and Travis Hunter and some of the, some other guys coming in from HBCUs. And as, as Shador said last week, I, I was doing this last year, which I think it was great for him to say. And they're putting they're putting people on notice. I know teams, people were going after them, um, you know, during the offseason about the whole roster turnover. But Colorado is showing up. I know it's a small sample size, right? But they're showing up the past two weeks that they're ready to play some football and they're going after you and they're going to figure things out, right? So excited for them, excited for their trajectory currently. And what I love about them right now more than anything, they're making a buzz around Boulder and they are bringing people into college football and they're bringing fans who normally probably will say NFL fans are like watching college football. I remember being like at, you know, HCB, our local grocery store a few days ago and I was hearing people talk about Colorado football. Crazy. And, and it was like insane to see. It's like, wow, we're talking about Colorado. Let's go. So yeah, I hope they keep it going. Uh, and they have the talent to do so, especially led by, you know, future Hotter Trophy winner potentially. I it's not I don't have a take, but I'll let I'll let Jake own those. <laughs> but led by by our boy uh Travis Hunter, who's just out of this world defensively and offensively. So it's decided to just be watching their journey, see how the season goes for them. Yeah, maybe I'll maybe I'll take a, a take that will actually work out well for me. 
Jake Stakes has been struggling. At this point, I don't want to jinx it, so I'll just... I'll, <laughs> you, stay, you stay away. I'll let you don't want Dion coming after you. <laughs> Man, uh, there's, there's obviously a lot to talk about in college football. We could probably talk all day about it, but I do want to transition us into into the NFL. It's opening weekend of the NFL, and there were some great games out there um, this Sunday. And I kind of wanted to start us off talking about probably the game of the weekend. I don't know if any everybody was able to watch it, but that Dolphins-Chargers game was phenomenal offensive football on both sides of the ball. And, uh, you know, I think people may critique the defenses some, but I think the offense was was both offenses were operating at a really high level. Obviously the chargers, you know, my first observation was they ran the football so much more effectively than they ever did last year. And obviously having a healthy offensive line helps Austin Eckler back helps, but they had a ton of diversity in the run game as well. I mean, obviously they ran, some of their zone schemes, they ran duo, they ran insert ISO, they they were all over the map, some some counters, some different stuff like that. And so I, I just thought I was really impressed with the Chargers run game and I was blown away by the Dolphins pass game and the motions and the route concepts. And it was really cool to see kind of a sparring match between two great offensive minds, Kellen Moore um, and Mike McDaniel just kind of going blow for blow with each other down to the wire in a 36-34 game. It was it was a fun game to watch, and uh, I think both of those teams are going to be exciting offensively the whole season for sure. Yeah, that's one of those games where I you know you can say what you want about the defenses, but I th- I think it was more the offenses just playing well rather than defenses playing bad. I think you'll see both of those defenses actually, you know, hold some teams probably under 10 or 14 points this year because they, I mean, you saw it out of the Dolphins in that last drive, you know, when it came to a head and their, you know, two-point lead, they've got to get some stops to save the game. They got two big sacks there at the end and, you know, dialed some good stuff up. Um, But to me, you know, to your point, Dan, I think, the Chargers being able to actually run the ball this year is just going to open up so much for them. And, you know, having a guy like Austin Eckler that can run and catch out of the backfield, it's just, you know, unstoppable. Then you've got guys like Keenan Allen and Mike Williams. You added Quinton Johnston. It's, I mean, they're going to put up 30-plus so many times. But to me, and I I know people are going to say, it's Tyreek Hill. You can do whatever you want with him because he's Tyreek Hill. But if you're an offensive coordinator and you have a number one receiver who is constantly getting double teamed, go watch how the Miami Dolphins use Tyree Kill. Oh, my goodness. It's so hard to double team the guy because they just move him. I mean, and to what you were talking about, Dan, with um, USC throwing the arrow screen um, to their guy to put their receiver, you know, in the backfield, kind of lining up at that H-back position. They, I saw Tyree Kill line up. You know, like right behind the tackle yesterday, oh, yeah. and then they would they would motion him out. They throw, you know, and use him as a decoy from time to time. But I mean, he motioned from inside to outside. He motioned from outside to inside. He motioned across and back. Obviously, that's a lot of work for a guy to be running all over the field like that. But if you've got a number one guy 
it's just drawing so much attention and you've got to find a way to get him the ball, just go turn on the Dolphins offense for a little bit. Mike McDaniel will kind of give you some ways to get that guy. <laughs> Watching Definitely. Tyreek Hill line up in the backfield, fast motion out to run a a deep dig on a dagger concept. I was just like, that is, first of all, unfair, unfair. Stop that. Somebody on Twitter said, uh, he looked like Sonic, the hedgehog running. And I was like, yeah, man, like he was rolling, but it is impossible to, you know, you want to play man, right. But they're going to jumble up your man coverage with that motion. And it's, it's different than normal motion, right? Normal motion. They may move number one to number two or, you know, cross the formation and it kind of happens slowly and you're able to match it. They motion right before the ball is snapped. And so it's not even about communicating. It's about having to run through traffic and all sorts of mess. And I mean, Tyreek Hill is a dynamite player regardless, but when you pair him with uh, an offensive coordinator, who's thinking really creatively for how to get him the ball, it's a, it is a tough mixture. And obviously what 11 catches for 200 plus yards that's an unbelievable game for an nfl wide receiver who's getting all the attention i just i could not believe how well he played yeah week one. definitely definitely and especially out of 15 targets right i mean how often do you see a guy get 15 targets and be able to convert 11 11 of those catches so he had a dominant game i mean that that goal line fade at the end that was Beautiful, beautiful timing route. Beautiful. I mean, number I don't know who the corner was on the Chargers, but he didn't even see it. He didn't even see it happening. It would ha- it happen if you blinked, you missed it, right? It was just beautiful execution on Tuba and uh, on Tyreek. And um, what I think my biggest takeaway from watching this game, I know last year uh, the Cowboys and just Cowboys in general kind of give Kellen some some just give him a hard time because they feel like he wasn't really running, wasn't like a running a balance offense, right? With, if like they're kind of relying on Dak throwing the ball to win games and looking at just the yards they have for this, for this game, rushing versus passing, it was a very balanced attack by the chargers. Um, you know, they had both their running backs of 16 carries and you know, one went for 117, one went for 91 yards. And with them having a total of like 230, 34 yards, you know, rushing compared to almost 225 yards passing, which ideally, you know, you want Herbert throwing 300 plus yards. But I, I loved how Kellen called a, called a, a, a good game of just keeping it balanced. And one thing I think I was, Dan, I was telling you about this yesterday was I love how all these NFL teams, even college, I mean, college teams obviously do it already, but NFL teams were, were embracing wide bunch and we're yeah. embracing tight bunch. And that's all that all around me. Yes, you see trips often, as you see doubles often, but. My first time, like, I was like, the trend I noticed so far these past two weekends was, like, the introduction of Wide Bunch. If anybody knows me, I'm, like, a big Wide Bunch big guy. Wide because, bunch guy. <laughs> because I love seeing the defenses freak out. They know, especially if you do it with, like, a shift, like, a late shift before snapping the ball. Defenses have usually, they usually don't have good answers for it. And you're kind of able to, and I saw the Chargers do this yesterday, which I love doing, um, is which they did Wide Bunch to the numbers. And they ran a counter out of it. So it's kind of making a defense kind of play two defenses in one. It's kind of like, yeah, okay, yeah. respect the wide bunch. We're going to throw a bubble or a now, a now bubble or, you know, a now and go to the wide side of the field 
or we're going to make you uh, respect the box. And some teams kind of struggled or kind of like, what's priority? Do we protect the box because of the down and distance? Or do we protect the wide side of the field because there's athletes out there? So I hope this trend going grows because it puts the defense in a bind. Like, and, you, and I saw a few times um, in, this, in the Dolphins games in which the safeties kind of were late getting out and they got burned a couple times. Yeah, no, I think the the diversity of formations, I think there was a good mixture of tempo for the Chargers. They they mixed that in. Uh, obviously, we've talked about the run game being on point. So I, I think the Chargers are going to have a really good season still. I think they have a, a lot of good stuff in front of them. That uh, I think that division is going to be going to be a challenge. I think there's there's some good football teams in there. It'll be interesting to see how uh you know the raiders and the broncos progress but obviously you got the chiefs uh but i think you know there's a lot of a lot of teams that are that are oh and one right now that are going to be playoff football teams for sure um i think yeah i think there's 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 still a lot of good football teams out there um another kind of surprise for me from the weekend was seeing the rams bounce back after a tough, a tough season. Uh, Sean McVay, uh, not dead yet. <laughs> still, still rolling. Uh, I think a lot of people wrote, wrote them off, you know, Cooper cups injured, you know, who are they going to, who are they going to trot out there at receiver? So Tutu Atwell played at Louisville, super dynamic, um, athlete in space. You know, he's a smaller guy, but you know, runs, Precise routes, has a ton of speed. He he looked really good. And then the rookie, I believe out of BYU, Puka Nakua, had an unbelievable uh weekend. And so it was it was cool to see Stafford. Yeah, no no kidding. I mean, I think everybody put him on the fantasy team after that. But it was cool to see, you know, McVeigh bounce back a little bit. They looked good offensively. Stafford looked uh looked like he's back to being Matthew Stafford and they were they were even able to run the ball a little bit. Um, obviously, not quite to the degree that they probably would have liked, but um, man, they looked really good against a team that I think we all think is going to be pretty solid in the the Seattle Seahawks this year. So, um, I think I, I think uh, when Cooper Cup gets back, they'll have even more uh, even more firepower on offense and really be able to be able to throw the football. But I think having some of these younger receivers emerge is a really good sign for the Rams moving forward that they're going to be able to to move the football. Yes, especially with, you know, the, the, the Seattle Seahawks have a pretty solid, competent defense. So for the Rams to try out some uh, less experienced guys in the passing game and for, for Sean to, you know, dial it up with his – Sean loves 10 personnel. I mean, he'll get into 11 to 12 occasionally, but he's a big 10 personnel guy. So seeing them – you know, dialed up a, a good game plan versus the Seahawks. I think this, I'm not sure if the Seahawks, I feel like the Seahawks are favorites in this game. So for them to come in and kind of say, Hey, we're still here. You know, we're Super Bowl champs a couple of years ago, but we're still kicking. We're still, we're still, we're still here. We're still around. So good for them. Good for the Rams. And, um, it'll make it fun to see how, how, how you said before, how, uh, Cooper, you know, how he's kind of by the back end offense and how he fits in to raise the level of, uh, the passing game. Speaking of the, uh, NFC West. Uh, 49ers are still the 49ers. Holy cow. Yeah, they were rolling. They were rolling. 
just they've got so many weapons weapon, weapons galore weapons everywhere and and just like a really good mix of the tight end the fullback the running back and then brandon Ayuk looks brandon different Ayuk, <laughs> to level, which i didn't know there wasn't much level for that offense but brandon right Ayuk kind of becoming the number one receiver for them oh yeah so it's just Debo's kind of your all over the place. Slot right. Having like a true X receiver out there. It's, it's some of those catches he made yesterday, like this is not fair. And his route running. He his broke off running. dude in the end zone on that first one. I mean, Brock Purdy's living the life. Yeah, he's living the life. When you can turn around and hand the ball off to Christian McCaffrey, live in play action boot, and you know, sprinkle in maybe a couple dropbacks here and there. <laughs> That's a really good life for a quarterback. <laughs> it's a really good life. And, uh, you know, I think the key for them is can they stay healthy? They're, weapons galore, like we said, but can you stay healthy? And can you maintain kind of that dynamic quality of running the football? And everything kind of flows from that, I think, for the for the 49ers. When they're running the ball effectively, like it just feels like everything works. Everything works when they're running the ball well. Yeah, they were – yeah, I mean, I thought the game would be closer, but it was not. <laughs> it was put yeah, away there early. Was a, there was a lot of people that the Steelers were kind of the upset pick of the week because I think the 49ers yeah. the past couple of years haven't started the year. You know, so I think they lost to the Bears like week one last year or whatever. It was kind of expensive bounce back in from the Steelers. 49ers shut that down pretty fast. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, one of the things that was kind of interesting to me from this past weekend was, you know, trying to peek around the league a little bit and see who was doing some interesting things schematically. Um, and one team that kind of came up as I was as I was looking through some of the film was uh, the Indianapolis Colts. Did some good stuff with Anthony Richardson, um, their quarterback, rookie quarterback, schematically. Now, the thing that concerns me, because it is good stuff on paper, right? Uh, but he probably had the ball in his hands a little bit too much in the run game. And some of that was designed, some of that was not. And obviously, he's he's a, a very talented athlete. But one of the points that uh, you know NFL personnel guys have made in the past is in college football playing a 10 11 game schedule you can get away with some qb run game over the course of a 17 game nfl schedule with the kind of athletes that are out there you gotta you gotta be really careful with qb run game and even toward the end of the game definitely i mean he was just taking some shots yeah, definitely agree and so i think the jags like they kind of figured things out but early in early on in the game um Indianapolis was kind of rolling. They ran some QB counter. They they did some some good kind of Jalen Hurtsy kind of stuff with uh, with Anthony Richardson. And uh, you know, I think I think they could they could be all right on offense, uh, but they don't have a running back. Well, they have one, sure. but he's not oh. under contract, <laughs> or he isn't. You have Jonathan Taylor back, right? A little bit of a load off. You know, they've, they've got to hope that he watched that game yesterday and said, you know, like, okay, this team, you know, I know there's the whole contract dispute and everything. 
Um, but if they can't find a trade partner, hopefully he doesn't just waste a year and sit out. Hopefully he watches his team and he's like, okay, we can actually, you know, do something here if we add a running back into the mix. And to your point, Dan, I listened to Trevor Lawrence's interview after the game and they were like, what'd you say to the young guy? Give him some advice. He's like, Hey man, these, these hits in the NFL add up a little bit over time. No doubt. Than they do in college. So protect yourself. And I mean, you saw it right at the end of the game. He was, run in to get into the end zone and took a hit was down for a little bit and I just I don't think it's going to be sustainable over even two or three games span let alone 17 games span for him to run all that much so it's I think it's truly going to be a matter of if they can get Jonathan Taylor in the mix there because I think that completely changes the dynamic of their offense how you're uh, you know, on some of the zone beat type stuff you know, you're having to respect the running back. And when he pulls, now he's got a little bit more space to run as opposed to just straight up dialing a quarterback run play where you know he's going to take a shot. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And and it's interesting, you know, staying in the AFC South, it's like, yeah, the Ravens will run Lamar a little bit. But for whatever reason, it seems like Lamar never gets squared up. Lamar Jackson, like, he never takes a shot, uh, like, a just getting – squared up and I I think Anthony Richardson got squared up a couple times and so it's like for some for some reason Lamar Jackson's able to kind of slide past some of the big contact hits I've almost never seen him take a take something head on and um you know I think that 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 division is going to be sorry that Baltimore's in the NFC North um the AFC South the reason I wanted to bring the AFC South up is it does kind of feel like it could be a wide open division uh, you know, obviously, I think Jacksonville is probably your front runner, and Tennessee is probably in the mix somewhere there. But I think Indianapolis needs to be encouraged coming out of this first week of saying, you know, if we can get some things rolling, we could we could make a run in this division and potentially be a, a playoff team. Um, and I think everybody kind of thought maybe they were gonna not necessarily tank, but be be a kind of a bottom team in the in the division. So I think. I think there's some hope for the Colts for sure. And I thought Shane Steichen did a pretty good job with Anthony Richardson. The one concern would be how do you keep him healthy over the course of a 17 game schedule? Yeah, definitely. I think the game and the way the game ended for him too, how he, you know, he was injured towards the end of the game. So hopefully he's able to bounce back to help be a catalyst for that offense. And on the other side, the Jaguars, it was like the return of Calvin Ridley. Oh yeah. I mean, he he's put back. on a show yesterday. And you know he was he was rested because uh, he had a suspension for a year. So um, for him, he he put on a show. And I didn't realize as y'all might have known this um, that Press Taylor's been calling a, calling the offense since halfway through, halfway through last season. And one thing that um, Doug that uh, Coach Peterson uh, mentioned was that Press was an uh, integral part of their fourth quarter comebacks last year. So he called it he called it a great game. And uh, for it's cool to see Trevor Lawrence be successful, right? Especially after that rookie year. And it seemed like it continued yesterday. So excited to see his upward progression, you know, as a quarterback and pumped to see Calvin Ridley just tear it up. So, I mean, the Jags have some receivers that could, that could, that's a very underrated receiver, receiver room over there. So with this offense, you know, receiving passing game period with uh, Travis Etienne, um, the Jaguars could be doing some damage with Press's uh, dynamic play calling. Yeah, I, I think uh, I think that storyline is kind of interesting because Doug Peterson, obviously, great offensive mind, offensive coordinator, play caller. 
and he is kind of passing the torch to Press Taylor. And in college, we see this happen quite a bit with head coaches, head coaches who are play callers, who give up play calling duty. And a big reason for doing so is because of the amount of responsibility that they have with recruiting, fundraising, you know, all the administrative duties that a, a head coach has. In the NFL, if you're a head coach play caller, which you see actually more often, you see a lot of head coach play callers, particularly on the offensive side of the ball. What do you think, what do you guys think is kind of the main reason to pass off play calling duty to an, an assistant um, when you maybe are capable of doing it yourself? What do you What do you think kind of the motivation is for a Doug Peterson to empower Press Taylor to do that? That's a good one. Um, I don't. I, it almost might be like a team dynamic thing. Like you, you know, you want to be more involved, kind of in the whole operation, rather than, you know, I know guys try to do it all. Like I know I've heard Sean McVay plenty of times talk about how you know he's still in, you know, he's still in listening on the defensive meetings. He wants to know what's going on, on the defensive side of the ball. But at a certain point, you can only stretch yourself so thin. Um, so maybe it's just, and it's also a trust that you have in a certain guy. I don't think you're just going to pass the offense off to anybody. It's a guy that, you know, kind of has that same, you know, kind of, you kind of go on the same wavelength. Um, you know that, Hey, third down, you know, third down and short call, you know, you're both kind of thinking the same thing. And I think if you've got a guy that you can pass that off to kind of relieve some of that stress and you can focus more on your team as a whole. Um, I think that might be kind of the direction that he's going in. Um, that's that, that would kind of be it for me. I think it would be most importantly that I can trust the guy that I'm going to, that we're going to be thinking, you know, along the same lines rather than he calls something. I'm kind of like, uh, I don't know about that. I was kind of thinking something. I mean, obviously there's going to be disagreements. You're not going to think the same things right. all the time, but. 95% of the time you can be on the same page. And I think that's, you know, that's healthy to be able to pass that off onto somebody else. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree wholeheartedly. And when, uh, when Doug was with the Eagles, they had like this brain trust, this hive mind he built. So it was, you know, Doug being a former NFL quarterback, right. Back up, back up for the Packers for many years, Frank Reich being a former NFL quarterback back for the bills for many years and DeFlippo. So they had their head coach, OC and Frank quarterback coach and DeFlippo. Um, kind of run their offense, right? And they kind of did like this group group thing, group call, group play calling, which that was the same year the Eagles won a Super Bowl. And it's reason why I think personally why Carson Wentz did so well. He had three former NFL quarterbacks as his coach, as his coach, as his main coaches, right? So I think with Doug, with his personality, and what she's reason why I think it ultimately led to his demise with the Eagles was because he's a very big ideas guy. Like he's a very big like we all have input. Let's all figure this out together. I know what most play callers are more like, Hey, you know, I'll do the game planning. Give me information. And I'll figure it out as we go. I'll, you know, I'll have a game plan. But like about Doug is that he wanted to give press opportunity. And that's why, you know, last game last year, the second half of games was allowed him calling plays because he wanted to, he wanted to give him a shot to um, be able to, you know, be a head coach one day, right. To be, you know, running his own team. And I think it's great. I think the more, if you have, three collaborative brains or two collaborative brains when it comes to running an NFL offense, that's huge. I mean, the saying goes, and most things you do, two is better than one, right? So you have two people who have a good partnership who are able to call plays. And not once again, it's not like a co-office coordinator situation going on, more so being like, 
hey, we're thinking the same things, what we should do, or like they're helping each other out. Like it's so helpful, especially for NFL games, right? I mean, it's already hard, you know, coaching in NFL, but if you have a person you're able to, to strategize with in between downs, I mean, in between drives, you have a guy that you're able to just game plan with throughout the week and kind of have that same hive brain going because usually, you know, bias wise, right? Like usually as a, a play caller, you might have your certain biases or certain things you like, but you have a different person who kind of compliments you as you kind of go along. That helps out the team, you know, tenfold when it comes to just like executing. Yeah, I think uh, I think that those are all all good points, Rashad. I think um, it, it's cool to see coaches that work together over the course of time, and and one of these coaches kind of earns opportunities because of their competence. And obviously, Press Taylor has been with Doug Peterson and kind of the the Doug Peterson. Uh, crew, I guess you could say. He was with Frank Reich in Indianapolis as well for a little bit. Um, but yeah, I mean, he was hired as, uh, I think, a offensive assistant with the Eagles under Chip Kelly. When Doug Peterson took over, he stayed on board and has obviously offered a lot of uh, a lot of value in his different roles and, and has, has demonstrated his ability. And I think as head coaches get uh, get a little bit older and kind of later in their career, I think they do look for opportunities to empower younger coaches. And, you know, I think it's Doug Peterson, obviously coached with Andy Reid in, in since, uh, sorry, Kansas City as well. And so, and played for Andy Reid. And, and I would imagine there's some of that kind of like almost fatherly uh, vibe yeah. with him of like, hey, I want to give guys opportunities to, um, uh, to use their abilities and and potentially set them up for for future opportunities and i think he probably has identified press taylor as as someone who he thinks will be a head coach one day and is kind of prepping him for for some of that in the same way that andy andy reed does that i mean how many head coaches have come from that andy reed tree because he i think he gives away a lot like he he empowers a lot and I think the people that do that are the ones that last the longest. Um, even Belichick, he's not always no, known as the warmest and fuzziest guy, but I remember Jed Fish telling the story when he got the Arizona job that uh, Belichick, as soon as he told him he decided he was going to take the Arizona job, Belichick was like getting him connected with Gronk and Teddy Bruschi and um, was like, let's set you up for success at Arizona. And so I think the the coaches, regardless of kind of their maybe their personality types from the media perspective, the coaches that are actively looking for ways to empower other coaches on their staff are, you know, the ones that last 20, 30 years in the profession. And, uh, they're the, they're the good ones for sure. Definitely. Definitely. I agree wholeheartedly. And anyway, you as a, even as a person, right. When it comes to just a career outside of football, um, anyway, you can kind of invite new ideas anyway, you can kind of like reestablish, like kind of reinvent, um, yourself as a fet working professional, as a coach, as a play caller, the better, right? And Andy Reid has shown that he's able to do so. And he's shown that he's able to constantly have, you know, new guys kind of bringing up as he's like bringing them up and kind of like sending them off. And it seems like Doug is, is establishing the same culture in Jacksonville. And as with, you know, Jacksonville has showed last season with them, how well they did in the second half of games because press was calling plays. And this year, you know, and he helped lead him to a victory. So hoping to see that trend continue because um, that's one way of growing the game. That's one way of making the game 
just a better place for fans and for, for, uh, for our point of view, right? As offensive guys makes the game better because you're able to get fresh ideas, new ideas when it comes to game planning. Um, you're able to have some fun when it comes to, uh, play calling. And, um, yeah, really looking forward to seeing how Press Taylor is able to, uh, you know, be creative with this offense with the support of Doug and see how they kind of move forward as a team. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think it's gonna be really interesting to see as the NFL season progresses, some of the trends from a schematic standpoint that start to emerge. Um, every season kind of has its own its own flavor. And, you know, everybody says the NFL is a copycat league because they're all watching what each other are doing and seeing what works against particular defenses and copying and, and pasting and, and doing different things like that. And so it'll be interesting to see one of the reasons I enjoy the NFL season so much is because you have the volume of games, you really are starting to pick up on things because their teams are playing similar opponents. They may make adjustments from the first time they play a divisional opponent to the second time. And so it'll be fun. I mean, obviously we're seeing a lot in college football emerge already. And with week one in the NFL in the books, it's kind of similar to what we said about week zero, week one in, in college football. Uh, there's a lot to observe. I don't think there's. Uh, I don't think it's time for panic for anybody just yet. Uh, there's obviously a lot of time to go in the season, but it's going to be a fun season. I think it's a it's a great year for offensive football, both in college and professional. And we will continue to keep our finger on the pulse throughout the course of the season and and uh, bring you as much as we can each and every week. So as always, we appreciate you guys following along. If you could do us a huge favor and give us a rating um, on the podcast app, leave a review, um, and just continue to share this. If, if you get value out of this podcast, share it with some coaching friends or, or other fans that are, that are interested in just continuing to get a deeper dive into the game that we all know and love and uh, want to continue to see grow and uh, the quality to increase year over year. So as always, we appreciate you guys, and we'll be back with you soon. Victory is a great play call. 